Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was, that was awesome. Um, hey, uh, you know, this thing about changed, miraculous encounters with Jesus, it's, it's man, I, you know, I've really enjoyed this session, but not only because there's been other speakers than Scott, don't take that how that sounds, <laughs> but it's been fun, isn't it, to hear other voices, you know, as we've gone through this? And, you know, there's, like, uh, you know, the woman that stole a miracle, I've always loved that story, you know, because she stole a miracle. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where Jesus went, hey, wait, somebody got healed. <laughs> Who was it? You know, that's so cool to, to see that in Scripture and to know that even though that woman uh, wasn't sought out by Jesus to be healed, she didn't make a plea to Jesus to be healed, yet Jesus healed her even though she sort of stole the miracle. And, you know, sometimes we see these miracle stories and we get to sort of ridicule the person. You know, I mean, preachers do that. They, they sort of set the guy or the gal up that got this miracle so that we can say, well, I'm not like that. Or you shouldn't be like that, you know. And so we sort of ridicule the miracle receiver. I think that's interesting. I mean, the one, there's two boat miracles that we saw. You know, there was the first boat miracle where Jesus is asleep on the cushion in the back. And the disciples are like, don't you care that we're, we're drowned? And I, I've always wanted to say, you have Jesus in the boat. I mean, come on. What are you afraid of? Yet, you know. That, and then it took a second boat miracle with Jesus walking on the water for them to go from being totally afraid to totally praising God for who he is. And we got to see that progression in their lives. And how many of us can, can share that same sort of I had a friend one time that said, I didn't really know who Jesus was until he took me to the wood pile. I'm thinking, the wood pile. Well, what do you mean by the wood pile? Well, that's where my dad used to take me to give me a whipping. Like, oh, I didn't want to ask the obvious next question. But anyway, that was another one. So, you know, and so, but it's, and the lepers, you know, only one thanked, you know, only one came back to thank everybody else, took off just to carry out. Well, in the one that we're looking at today, um, See various translations. I know we've we've been using one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out of this one. Uh, just follow along. Don't worry about what your translation says. But this is in the book of John, the fifth chapter. And John is very careful about the the things that he includes. You know, if you read in the twentieth uh, chapter, he says, I, "I've written these things so you might believe." He didn't include all the other gospel writers' stuff. Because he felt like, well, they covered it. So he only included the ones that he felt were most important, at least from his perspective, for us to see and then believe. And so the guy we get to ridicule today, oh, I mean, uh, sorry. (laughs) Hear this story. It says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, let's stop right there for a second. I got to explain a couple things. Uh, There was a feast of the, there's three Jewish holidays. Uh, Pentecost, Passover, and Tabernacles. Those are the, did I get them right? I think so. Anyway, there were three, cha- they, and Jewish males had to go to Jerusalem for these three, um, these three feasts or, or um, uh, festivals or whatever. So Jesus went, uh, and the, after these things, Jesus had been in what they call the Galilean ministry. He healed the sick. He he, he fed, he, 
He just did a whole lot of stuff. And, and John just says, well, after these things, he went up to Jerusalem because he was supposed to. That was what was supposed to be done. And so, um, so he is there, and it says that uh, now they're in Jerusalem uh, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. Now, this, 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 this part here, um, it's been included in Scripture, but it was probably something that was added later so that people could understand what John was talking about because there was this tradition, this belief among the people that in this particular pool that an angel would come. And it says, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So that's just kind of explaining what, what, why were they there? You know, because uh, John doesn't really explain it, so there was a kind of a liner note, and they just included it in Scripture so that we would know what this was about, because how else would we know? And then verse 5, it says, And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in sickness. Uh, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? 38 years. <laughs> Same condition. 38 years. And Jesus sees him, seeks him out, says, do you want to get well? Sick man answered Jesus, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. And see, there were um, the Jewish rabbis, because God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, um, they took that to mean, let's create a whole bunch of laws that define what keeping the Sabbath holy means. Uh, it says, don't, God said, don't work. Relax, rest. Just take a day off. Don't work seven days. You can work six if you want, but, you know, just rest. So the rabbis said, here's what it means not to work. And so they had 79 laws of what you couldn't do and one of them was to pick up your pallet and walk. You couldn't carry anything on the Sabbath. And so they, they were looking at this man that had been healed. And uh, the first thing they think of, the first thing they think of is, it's not permissible to carry your pallet on the Sabbath day. 38 years, this guy hasn't walked. And he, we'll get to that. That's part of my sermon. We'll get there. Hang with me. <laughs> um, but... He answered him. He answered them. He who made me well was the one who said to me, "Take up your pallet and walk." They asked him, "Who who is this man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk?" But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "Behold, you have become well. 
Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Hmm. Man, there's a bunch of stuff in that. There's just a bunch of stuff going on. And so for those of you who like to take notes, the three areas that we're going to look at is me, you, and them. Okay? Now, when I say me, I don't mean me. I mean, well, I do mean me if, if I'm looking at it from my context. But what I'd like you to do is look at it from your context. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that, first of all, recognize that when Jesus sought this man out, there are a whole lot of other people in these five porticos. And it's at the sheep gate, which is where they would bring sheep in. It was in about the northwest corner of... If you read uh, the Old Testament, it kind of describes the sheep gate and some things. But there's this pool. In Bethesda, it means house of mercy. That's that Beth is house, and Bethesda is mercy. So Ezda, I guess, would be... Anyway, in Hebrew. So Bethesda, house of mercy. So... With this tradition, there was this belief that if you went there, you could get healed. And so this man, in his mind, said, well, nothing has worked. And I've been sick this way for all these years. So I'll go there and try to get in the pool. Now, scholars have said, and and lots of commentaries have said, that really what it is is that at certain seasons the water flow in the spring was a little different and it would stir up the water and probably nobody ever got healed from this. But they believed that there was healing in this pool. Not sure why, because John didn't explain that to us because it wasn't important to him for us to believe in Jesus. But there was this belief. And so this man believed that if he went and got in the pool somehow, that he'd be healed. I want you to think about something. It's the Sabbath day. He can't walk. How did he get there? How did he get there? Somebody had to take him. And the only way for somebody to take him and still not break the Sabbath laws was to get up early in the morning before the sun rose because it's not the Sabbath until the sun rises carry him down there and leave him there and get home before the sun rose so that they didn't do any work on the Sabbath day. That's a lot of work. That takes some planning. So when we get to the understanding of how miraculous things happen and change people, from our perspective, often we wrap it up in the things that we know and experience. Like, for example, if life is rough and things aren't going particularly the way I'd like, sometimes we wrap ourselves up in things that we think we know, the things that we think we believe, the things that we hope for. And often that can be a hindrance for us actually coming to know the real nature of Jesus Christ. Now, Remember I said Jesus was there because it was the rule that uh, in the law that Jewish men had to come for certain festivals. 
And Jesus obeyed that law. But he broke the rabbi's laws about healing on the Sabbath. Because that was man's law. And it didn't mean anything. It was totally perverted. It was totally wrong. Because if you think about it, it's a lot harder to obey 79 rules on a day than it is just to rest. So we get this in our... That's why I said me. When, when it comes to being in touch with the miraculous, with, with something beyond our experience, often we act just like this man did because Jesus picked him out. The man didn't even know who Jesus was. He had no experience. He hadn't heard any of the messages. He hadn't seen anybody else healed. He didn't know who Jesus was. So it wasn't about his faith that Jesus picked him out. It was just that he was a man that needed help. And Jesus sought him. Think about that. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, in whom all things hold together, knew that there was a man that had been sick for 38 years. He went to the pool and sought him out. Even though he didn't know who he was. Do we ever tell ourselves Jesus would never seek me out? I'd always be one of the other ones that's laying in the porticos and somebody else gets healed. Or I don't have a man to put me into a pool, so therefore I won't get healed. I don't have somebody to take me to church. I don't have somebody to tell me the message. I haven't learned. Listen to all the barriers we create for ourselves. All the barriers we build up in our hearts and our minds. I've done this for 38 years. I, I go every Sunday. Jesus obeyed what was truly a religious practice and threw out that which wasn't a barrier for knowing who God is for this man. I'll tell you the truth. Without any doubt in my mind, Jesus seeks you. You. Individually. No matter what your background, no matter what your practice, no matter what your experience. When Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? He could have given him a sarcastic answer. No, I'd like to stay sick. I've only been sick 38 years. I'm only 50-something. You know, I got lots of years to be sick. But he said something kind of like that. He said, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. Well, you had somebody to get you here. It's okay. Pick up your pallet and walk. The man had no experience with the miraculous. He'd never experienced anything miraculous. He didn't know who Jesus was. It had never come into his life anything that he could say was truly a, a, a miracle, he thinks. We do that too. We say to ourselves, I don't know. Have I ever experienced a miracle? I don't know. I, was, I, I met some, a member of our church, her, her father, and she said he said that when she was about six months old, she developed this something. The doctors never did figure out what it was, but she was losing blood internally. And she was at death's door. They had her on, you know, 
if you've ever been in a hospital when somebody's that sick, you know, the tubes and the, you know, all the stuff going on and the doctors rushing around and the, the crash cart already there by the bed and, you know, the monitors are beeping and all the numbers and stuff going on and they didn't know what to do. And the doctor said, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's wrong with this child. So they went home and they asked their, their church to pray and that church asked other churches to pray. And they were just, I mean, (laughs) you parents. Can you imagine? The doctors are saying, you're going to lose this child. There's nothing we can do. Put yourself there for a second. So, middle of the night, they'd been praying, they'd been pouring their hearts out. Middle of the night, this kid sets up starts to play just starts to play laughing giggling he called the parents come quick (laughs) she's playing (laughs) so they did and this father said when you're confronted with that what do you do the doctor's the doctor came in that next morning and she'd been up for 72 hours pretty much nonstop, trying to figure out what was wrong. And she said, we don't know what was wrong. And even more so, we don't know why, she, why she's no longer sick. And that father said, do I believe? Do I believe? that the miraculous has happened? There's no other explanation. We set barriers up when confronted by the miraculous to explain it as something else, don't we? Wow. Now this man got up and he walked and he carried his pallet and it says the Jews, which means literally everybody because <laughs> we're in Jerusalem after all. The Jews said, hey, you you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. (sighs) Never mind the fact that this guy is now well and walking. My first question, what what happened? But they said it's not permissible. See, the rabbis believed that if they could keep one perfect Sabbath, one perfect, perfect Sabbath, the Messiah would come. And in coming, he would get rid of all those who oppressed them. He would get rid of all the backward and crooked politics that was around them. So the you of everything began to question why this man would take the risk of breaking a perfect Sabbath by picking up his pallet and walking. That was what they were offended by. Hmm. Because, wow, now the Savior might not come not knowing that the Savior had healed him. Wow. The you of the world is pervasive. Pervasive. The you tells you that you shouldn't do this or you should do that. That in order to be this kind of thing, you need to be that kind of thing. Or if you want to be 
if you want to be perfect, you need to be this political party or that political party or you need to vote this way or you need to think this way, you need to talk this way, you need to associate with these people. You need to make sure that you're a part of the you keeps bombarding us with all this garbage. And some of it even is good. And some of it is bad, but how do you filter it out? How do you know? Because the you keeps talking. The you never shuts up. And so because the you is so pervasive, it doesn't look at the miraculous that's every day. It looks at the things that you're doing that's against what they think is the best thing that should be done. And we listen to that. You know, I, I went to 13 schools through 12 grades. And so uh, every time we'd move, I'd go, okay, who do I want to be this time? <laughs> you know, in the last school I was this, but maybe this, year, this time I'll be this, you know, whatever. You know, and, and the pressure to find a way to sort of fit in a new situation every time was overwhelming. I mean, it's, ugh. I mean, I, I told somebody one time, I figured this out in junior high school about that if you get in a fight with the guy that's everybody's big bully and you ask out the prettiest girl, then you're going to fit in. Boy, that was shallow. <laughs> but fitting in becomes so important, you know? Being that person that, that complies, that, that, that isn't outside of the, the norm or is not out of step, you know? That if you want to have friends... You want to be a part of their, you know, whatever it is. You got to learn the words, you know. I didn't know what a frappe was until I moved to St. Louis, Missouri. And I found out what a frappe was a milkshake. But a milkshake, they thought was, it's a long story. Um, So the you is pervasive. And the you looked at this man and said, the you is judgmental. The you will tell you, don't judge. (laughs) Isn't that funny? There's nobody more judgmental than somebody that tells you not to judge. I actually had somebody say to me one time, I cannot stand and I'll have nothing to do with, it doesn't matter what she filled in the rest of the sentence with. She she just didn't, she said, people who are intolerant just drive me crazy. I hate them. Wait a minute. Uh, I'm not even going to unpack that. That's just unbelievable. The you, they were telling this man he was wrong. The miraculous happened. He was healed. The miraculous changed him forever. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the Messiah, holy God, sought him out and healed him, even though he didn't know who he was. And the only thing that you could figure out to say is it's not permitted to pick up your bed and walk. So they ask him, why are you doing this? He said, well, the man who healed me told me to do it. Yeah, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. He told me to do it. Well, who was that? I don't know. Hmm. 
says, you know, if you read the last part of it, it says, from this, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he's doing these things on the Sabbath. Not only is the you bad, but then there's the them. The them. You know, one of the names of Jesus is Advocate. Have you heard that? Jesus is called our Advocate before the Father. One of the names of Satan is Accuser. In fact, that's one of the more common names of Satan is Accuser. Have you ever had this internal dialogue in your head where... Your entire internal dialogue is saying, man, I wish I was a, a person like so-and-so, or I wish I could be more holy, I wish I knew more scripture, I wish I could pray better. And, and then there's another kind of part of your voice that, that says, yeah, you'll never get there. That's not going to be who you are. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't fit in well enough with, with them. It, the church is a place where you go and you are kind of okay sometimes, but nobody really pays any attention to you and doesn't really like you because you're not really like them. You ever heard that little voice in your head? That's the accuser. The accuser wants you to feel less. The accuser wants you to think you're not a part of his fellowship. The accuser wants you to think you're not forgiven. The accuser wants you to think you don't know who Jesus is. The accuser tells you that all the time. But remember, Jesus is our advocate. He's the one that says to you, it doesn't matter that you don't know fully who I am. I might send you a storm that you might have to go through that you might then see me more clearly. You might have a child that gets so sick that the only thing that can heal her is prayer. And when it does, you will see me. You might have such great joy in something. And say, oh God, thank you. We did that yesterday. We're like, wow, this is so awesome. Thank you, God. We came home saying thank you, God yesterday because in stuff we can see him so clearly and it drowns out the voice of them that are opposed to us just drowns it out Hmm. This, this poor man He needed to justify himself, so he went and told the Jews that it was Jesus that healed him because Jesus found him in the temple and he said, hey, you're healed. That's great. Don't do anything, you know, don't sin anymore because something worse could happen to you, which indicates for us that whatever his sickness was was probably a result of some sin in his life that had a consequence and and he had to live with that consequence for 38 years. So Jesus didn't only heal him, he forgave him for that sin. Wiped it away. Didn't, the guy didn't even know he needed that. And Jesus said, you did. And just don't do it anymore. I took care of that too. But the man didn't understand that either. He was, 
He was caught up in his own barriers of his life. He never had experienced anything miraculous. He never thought he would get anything miraculous. And the fact that he was miraculously healed hadn't even penetrated deep enough for him to understand that something amazing had happened. The only thing he could think of to do was to justify himself. So he went to the Jews and he said, it was Jesus who healed me and told me to pick up my pallet and walk. He went to the them because he was afraid he wasn't going to be a member of the you because of his internal reality, which didn't let him know that miraculous things could happen to him. That's pretty sad. That's, that's where we could ridicule this man, except that's us. That's us. If you're honest, you know that there's a part of yourself that would be right there too in some ways. My friend Mike Mahoney says that if you're 100% justified by Jesus Christ, why do you continue to justify yourself? That's <laughs> amazing. And so true. The man felt he needed to justify why he picked up his bed and walked. You were healed. <laughs> you were healed. That supersedes all that other garbage. Jesus sought you out made you whole. I canceled out all that stuff. If you fit in with Jesus, who else do you need to fit in with? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, vote however you want. It doesn't matter. If Jesus has made you whole and forgiven your sins, what does it matter what other people think of you? I know how hard it is. Believe me, what I'm saying. But that's what Jesus says. You know that old hymn we sing says, I sought you and I bought you? at the cost of his life? <sighs> I want you to know the love of Jesus so deeply for you, for you, that it breaks down those barriers that you build internally to be able to see him clearly. Paul had scales taken from his eyes so that he could see. The disciples in the boat saw that Jesus controlled the storms and could walk on water. The woman who stole a miracle was told that her faith was a powerful thing and that she should go her way healed. Hmm. It's no different for you at all. Not at all. Because the God of the universe wants you in fellowship with himself. And he came and lived among us and said, in that, I love you.
I love you. Because I so love the world that I came as God's only begotten son. So that if you believe in me, remove those barriers of what you think, what they think, and what the laws and everything else around you think, the, the rulers, the principalities, the rulers of the air, all these things that stand opposed to you. I loved you that much that if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. And you will not perish. This is why Jesus sought this man. This is why Jesus healed this man. This is why John wrote it down. That we might believe. Heavenly Father, we ask that this small message from this man's life becomes a major message in our own. That we'll only recognize the miraculous around us all the time. That Lord Jesus, you're in the boat with us. Those storms will come. They will come. You're in that hospital room with us. You're at work with us. When we're out in nature, you're with us. When we have great joys, you are with us. You're always with us. Lord, it's miraculous that the one who created all things knows my name. So, Lord, we ask that you enlighten our hearts. You encourage our spirits. You let us recognize that we are fully justified in you. We are fully healed. And because we have fellowship with you, we have fellowship with one another as people who needed you and continue to need you and live in the miraculous. Send us from this place encouraged to know how truly and deeply you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.